Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everybody, and welcome in to Commanding the Huddle. I am your host, as always, Ryan Fowler from the Draft Network. And before we get into today's jam-packed episode, following the first week of training camp action for the Commanders out in Ashburn, wanted to let you guys know that this podcast is brought to you by our partners at Bet Online, who continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds on Major League Baseball, F1, tennis, WNBA. Now, granted, the NBA and NHL have yet to get going, but head on over to Bet Online today and wherever the website and use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B L E A V, to get the bonus and get into the action. Bet Online, where the game starts. So, let's get right into today's episode. I hope you guys have had a great week and enjoying your weekend. Camp is officially underway out in Ashburn for the Washington Commanders, year three of the Ron Rivera tenure, and we got a great look at some guys. Now, granted, I want you guys to take everything that you're seeing around the NFL, whether it's rookie hype, scheme, and personnel groupings, take it with a grain of salt, because at the end of the day, guys are running around in t-shirts and shorts. Now, as we move into next week, we get guys out there with pads. They start cracking a little bit. We see some more physicality, whether it's individual drills, seven on sevens, nine on nines. And then you get the big boys out there with full 11 on 11 drills. That's when you really get to see guys pop, no pun intended, and guys stand out or regress, really where men separate themselves from the boys, even at the highest level of the game. So again, take everything that you're hearing, not just And here, with the excitement on certain players, because there is reason to be excited about certain guys that stood out this week that were lower on the depth chart, which provides plenty of reason to be excited once they get into pads and fully strapped up this coming week. But first, I want to jump into the retirement of Antonio Gandy-Golden. And I know that was the middle part of the week, and I'm talking to you guys now on Monday. But that's just it's a surprising retirement for a guy that we've talked about plenty on this pod where Washington has tried to make it work with Gandy Golden, a former fourth rounder just a few years ago, an athletic specimen thought of out of Liberty, a guy that dominated the mid-major level of football and was consistent when he first came into camp in his first few years. And Washington, the fact that they wanted to work him in on the outside, they wanted to develop him into a red zone target, someone that could rise over defenders, smaller six foot, even you know, six foot, six foot one corners, these longer corners, develop him into a mismatch on the outside. But he wasn't able to consistently separate. It doesn't matter here if he was facing a six foot plus corner or a sub six foot corner. He just could not get off the line of scrimmage. And those issues that were looked upon a little bit of him, it's the reason why he dropped to the fourth round coming out of college, those transferred into the NFL and it really just never worked. Now, is this saying that Gandy Golden is hanging them up for good? I'm not sure. He's still extremely young. He said he's going back to school at Liberty to finish his degree. First off, hats off to him. Good for him. That's great. It obviously didn't work out in Washington. Spent a lot of time on the practice squad last year 
and moving into this year, he was a a guy on the outside looking in. And his departure has opened up targets for the guy I want to talk about next, two guys I want to talk about next in the tight ends room in Curtis Hodges, a UDFA out of Arizona State that Washington signed following the draft, and Cole Turner, who Washington drafted out of Nevada in the fifth round. Two rookie talents that stood out a ton this week. And we've talked about it a lot about Carson Wentz and his knack for feeding and peppering tight ends with targets his entire career. Philadelphia, Indianapolis, if there's tight ends on the field that can move around, that provide sure hands, that aren't just that security blanket, that can provide some yak opportunities, he's going to feed them. And all week long, Carson Wentz fed Cole Turner and when he had his opportunities, the lone, some kind of the limited opportunities of Curtis Hodges, as Curtis was more working with Taylor Heineke and Sam Howell, they stood out. And I was very, very impressed with Cole Turner, considering that both Logan Thomas and John Bates were not at practice this week, dealing with their respective injuries. Now, Logan Thomas's injury remains a massive, massive question mark with this offense and the overall fluidity if he's not able to stay healthy. But just off of the first week, you should feel plenty comfortable. And Ron Rivera and offensive coordinator Scott Turner should feel extremely confident in Cole Turner working against the ones and the athletic linebackers in Jamin Davis and Cole Holcomb. And then you rotate down Bobby McCain and Cam Curl and Derek Forrest and Jeremy Reeves. Those are some athletic safeties that aren't fresh to the NFL game that have seen bigger athletic tight ends that they faced in NFL action. Before And Cole Turner had a great week. But let's focus on Hodges a little bit. Someone that was really underrated coming out of Arizona State and really a deep tight end class. You look at the names up top, Trey McBride, Greg Dulcich, Isaiah Likely, all those names kind of headlined the draft process. And Curtis Hodges was not drafted. But someone that is there at Arizona State where they produced a ton of talent. You look at him, you look at offensive tackle Kellen Deach, That tested extremely well. Rashad White was drafted. The running back was drafted by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the middle rounds. This is a talent that I don't think right now is to sit here and say he's a lock. Remember, we haven't seen him in pads yet, and that's going to be huge for him. But for him to work over the back of the end zone and and show sure hands, work over the middle of the field, and take balls on a seven-yard slant, and get over 10, 15, running away from corners, doing a lot of different things within this Washington offense. If Bates and if Logan Thomas were to miss time moving into the regular season, we saw it already, and we'll get to it in a little bit with the timetable of Chase Young, probably going to be out week one. We're not sure if he's going to be back week two or week three. That's scary, and we will get into that in just a little bit. But for Curtis Hodges, every rep matters. And he's approached that and had that mindset to where he's taken that into camp and stood out in these first few practices and is beginning to you know, make Ron Rivera, Scott Turner think a little bit about, hey, and this Curtis kid's got some juice. Let's see what he's got in pads and move into the preseason. Let him appear in 65, 75% of the offensive snaps. And those games where we're going to be sitting our ones, you're not going to see much of, of John Bates, much of Logan Thomas. You'll see a lot of Cole and you'll see a lot of Curtis Hodges. See those guys work. And we've seen it every single year of guys that showcase themselves. And 
they weren't expected to, right? Guys lower on the depth chart, just names on a jersey, and they come in and showcase themselves and play extremely well and potentially work into, not saying they're going to be a lock for the 53, but maybe even make their way onto the practice squad when initially they were looked upon as someone that they were going to cut. And you're going to make it tough. And Curtis Hodges has made it tough early on in training camp. Now, it is early. Again, grain of salt. That's basically going to be the mantra of this episode and really working into even next week of training camp. It's still relatively extremely early, but Curtis Hodges has provided reason to be excited in the tight ends room. And I personally have been very impressed as well with Cole Turner, two young tight ends that you all should be extremely intrigued about and keep an eye on as we move into when they get into pads moving into this week. So let's jump into the other side of the ball with Chase Young. And I'm extremely up in the air right now with the expectations with Chase because all the talk this week has been about Chase not being ready for the beginning of the year and how Montez Sweat has stood out in the first week of camp. But it kind of makes me temper my expectations just a little bit because you look back to the years since they drafted Jonathan Allen and the years following with Payne and Young and Sweat and all these expectations that the defensive line has had to become that dominant unit. And outside 2020 was a great year for this defense as a whole on every single level. But we have yet to see Chase Young and Montez Sweat progress into that dynamic tandem off the edge that we thought they were going to be. A potential top two or three unit in the NFL as sack artists and getting after the quarterback and two talents that Ron Rivera and defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio expected this defense for them to accumulate 10 plus sacks each year. And that's not out of the question with Chase Young being a former number two overall pick and Montez Sweat coming in the end of the first round and the athletic tools and traits that he hasn't been able to push the pocket as just an extreme freak athlete as well. So with Chase missing the first few weeks of the year, yeah, you still have John Allen. You still have Deron Payne right now. You know, knock on wood, you don't want any injuries coming into play as we move into the back end of training camp in the preseason with everyone being fully, you know, 100% as they get geared up to host Jacksonville in week one. But I'm worried about the overall long-standing health for Chase because he is outside of Terry McLaurin and you could probably throw Carson Wentz a little bit in there and John Allen is the face of the franchise and right now only in year three and dealing with the injury that he suffered in week 10 last year with his ACL is someone that you want to be cautious with but how cautious because of how important he is along that defensive line and the impact that he has at all three levels. Teams can now slide protection over to Montez Sweat. They can bring another running back in and have him chip John Allen in the middle of that defense, pushing from three-tech or one-tech, wherever Del Rio wants to align him. Because we've seen John Allen almost amass 10 sacks last year. Had a breakout year. Had an all-pro year in my mind. But if Chase isn't able to get on the field, weeks one, weeks two, weeks three, you're working into the first month of the season. And really three games at the first part of the year that... You open up with Jacksonville, you go to Detroit, and you have Philadelphia. Those are three winnable games. Now, everyone's expecting Philadelphia right now, them or Dallas, as always, to run away with the division. We'll pump our brakes a little bit on that. Remains a massive question mark as far as the impact that Jalen Hurts will have on that offense this year. 
heck of a ball player, but Washington has some ball players as well that can compete. And Chase Young is one of those guys. He's one of those standout athletes, those elite potential game-breaking athletes that Washington needs on the field if they look to reach their performance ceiling, not just as a team, but as a defense, as all 11 bodies look to improve massively from last year, where they faced every headlining elite tier one, bottom tier one quarterback in the NFL. Chase Young needs to be on the field. I just don't know if even week one, week two, we'll see him. And as of right now, may even stem longer back than that with how cautious they're being towards his injury. But well wishes to him and his recovery. We need him back on the field as soon as possible to pair opposite of number 90 on the other side to really see this Washington defense round into form. From there, let's jump back to the DBs. And I've been extremely impressed with the defensive backs in this first week, just based off of last year where William Jackson was new, Kendall Fuller was in obviously his second stint in DC, Benjamin St. Just was a rookie. This year with really their second year, considering you know William Jackson and St. Just, guys that have been back there a little bit now, a full season under their belt. Now granted, St. Just working into his second year, dealt with a lot of concussions in year one, but the communications, William Jackson said they've been quote a thousand percent better just in the first week of camp. That's something to that's something that should translate and be evergreen for this defense as we move in to the regular season, especially where Benjamin St. Juice is expected to have a massive workload. I don't know if he is C B three right now or C B two. Or he's gonna get a lot of looks potentially working over teams as wide receiver one. I think he could do that. I think Del Rio is plenty comfortable in him doing that this year. We saw him a lot working over Terry McLaurin and over Jahan Dotson in the first week of camp. We'll get to Dotson a little bit because I'm extremely excited with that kid in his hands and what he's been able to showcase in the first week of camp and then moving back even farther what he showed in the spring. But Corna Elder is someone that, like Hodges and Turner on offense this week, has impressed on defense. And he's that guy that we talked a little bit about before is that CB5, CB6, even that CB7 right now that you need on a roster and someone that can compete on special teams. And when teams move into nickel and these sub packages, which is really where the NFL is heading, these base packages are, they're just non-existent anymore. People in defenses play in nickel and in sub packages where they're bringing in extra safeties. They're bringing on an extra corner or two to counter these pass-happy NFL offenses that want to sling it through the air 40, 45 times a game. Players like Corn Elder, that's how they make their mark on a roster. And he's someone that had experience last year, both, again, on defense and on teams. Granted, minimal work, but now as someone that has a full year under his belt, working under Del Rio, and defensive backs coach Chris Harris, which is someone that I expect in the near future to potentially get some D coordinator looks or even some head coach looks and some interviews down the road. It's just an absolutely charismatic, one-through-the-wall type of head coach. Reminds me a lot of kind of the vibe that Dan Campbell gives off for the Detroit Lions. But keep that name in the back of your mind. Defensive backs coach for Washington, Chris Harris, is a name that could be starting to circulate in the head coaching carousel here in the next few years down the road. But, you know, back to Elder 
and the back end of the corners room you just you can't have enough guys like that and have enough depth where you can roll out four five six corners that can work over potentially any wide up that they face in front of them because Washington isn't going to travel William Jackson this year they're not going to ask Kendall Fuller to go from sideline to sideline wherever an opposite team's wide receiver one or wide receiver two aligns. And they're not going to ask Benjamin St. Juice to do that because he didn't do that at Minnesota. He didn't do that last year when he was healthy on the field. So you're not going to throw him into the fire right away and ask him to work over Cowboys' C.D. Lamb or A.J. Brown or Devonta Smith in Philly or Kenny Galladay, Kadarius Tony in New York. You're not going to ask him to travel right now. So bringing in guys that have the comfortability and the prowess and the skill set to not just be on the field and be a body in a uniform, but if you ask him to work in zone, he can come downhill and make some plays in the football. Or you ask him to be in man, and you're lying two yards off the line of scrimmage and able to reroute defenders both the inside and the outside and make some plays on the football. Corn Elder can do that. Now granted, he won't earn a ton of snaps this year. It doesn't matter how good he plays in training camp or how good he plays in the preseason. Washington's top three corners are locked in Jackson Fuller and St. Juiced. But when you get to four, five, six, that's when you get back to him, you get back to Christian Holmes, kind of that range. Danny Johnson's back there as well, someone that they expect to potentially get some snaps again, working over the nickel. Corn Elder has had a great first week at camp and deserves a little bit of spotlight or someone that's really flown under the radar, kind of like how Tory McTire did last year. So tip of the cap to Corn Elder in his first week of camp out in Ashburn. From the DBs, let's go over to the opposite side of the ball in the wide receivers. And I know Terry's back. I know number 17 deserves all the spotlight in the world. Can't say anything bad about him either. I know you guys will be at my house with pitchforks if you say one bad thing about Terry McLaurin. But I want to talk about Jahan Dotson. I don't think we've talked about him enough. And someone that really could potentially for me, challenge as far as rookies for most receptions and yards this year. Just because I don't know what to expect from Curtis Samuel. I don't know what to expect from Deami Brown. Those are two good players, and I know Terry McLaurin is there, and he will get his most likely be another 1,000-yard-plus guy working with Wentz. But Jahan's going to face wide corner twos and corner threes this fall. And someone that has proven this past week at camp, that he can work over anybody at any level and haul the ball down. Well, like he's a 6'5", Drake London, who we saw some film of this week in Atlanta going over top of defenders down with the Falcons. But Jahan Dodson has just been extremely impressive because of how big and physical and aggressive he plays. The alpha that he is in the air when the ball is coming his way. He has that my ball mentality similar to a center fielder ken griffey willie mays wherever the ball is you know he's going to fall under it that's what terry mclaurin has been and that's what i'm extremely excited because i think jahan dotson can also be that option for washington this fall he's a tick under six foot but he's just that guy that is going to wear you down for 60 minutes every single week because of that impact that he has at every single level of the defense. And you're going to see that a lot this year on designated touches behind the line of scrimmage, working over slants, 
He's going to be a target in the red zone because that, he has that ability to win those 50-50 balls. With him, it's more of a 70-30, 80-20, you would even say, because of his Venus flytrap-like hands. The kid's got glue for hands. I'm just extremely excited to see him work in live action. Opposite of Terry McLaurin, who we know defenses are going to double. They're going to bracket and make it hard on him to get open and create separation. And what are the other options? It's Stotson, it's Samuel, it's Brown. And it remains to be seen, Curtis Samuel looks healthy first week of camp. Very happy to see him out there, but he was on the side field a little bit this week and kind of held out of 707s and 9-on-9 work. But that leaves a ton of targets for the rookie in Dotson. And you're not going to take a guy in the middle of the first round and not have him work into a ton of attention from Carson Wentz, who's going to pepper him and feed him targets all season long if he's able to stay healthy and on the field because they're going to need him to be. This is a guy, they brought over Curtis last year. They drafted Diami to take attention off of Terry. That completely, Washington really fell on their face in that aspect. But now you bring over Dotson from Penn State. Success in the Big Ten was great in the spring. OTAs, rookie minicamp. Now he's had a good first week at camp, but we haven't seen him in pads yet at the NFL level. And as we move into next week, really, really pumped up to see him get to work. And someone where we could really see him and McLaurin progress into a, a nice one-two punch for Wentz where he can just drop back. And if, if it's not Dotson, it's McLaurin. If it's not McLaurin, it's Dotson. I got Logan Thomas. I got Colt Turner over the middle of the field. I can hit Curtis Samuel on some screens and get him the ball in his hands. Maybe De'Ami Brown for a shot play, two or three a game. Give him some chances to catch the ball. Offense begins to kind of gel and round into form. And Washington just has a lot of names on paper that excite you. And then you turn on the film, just even this last week at camp, and you just see how McLaurin moves and Dotson moves and how they spread the offense, how defenses are forced to pull linebackers out of the second level, how they're forced to play cover two shells, cover three shells, and really bring defenses back so the roof of the defense is lifted 25, 30 yards downfield. So Wentz, if he wants to, and we saw him doing Philly and doing Indianapolis, he can just pick apart seven yards here, 11 yards here, eight yards here. Here's a 20-yard shot play here. Here's a 50-yarder down the field to Terry McLaurin. Everything opens up because of the speed and impact that Dotson and Terry will have at every single level. And I think Jahan's impact is really flying under the radar because of the other names that are in Washington. But just considering the workload that he received this week, working with the ones and opposite of Terry back now, after that beautiful contract extension that he now has, that sparkling new deal, I don't think it's going to take long for Jahan to be inserted into the lineup as a substantial target in week one. I think he will have a lot of designated looks as they move into week one and week two, Jacksonville and Detroit. And you'll see from there, as far as can he holster those? Can he make plays? I think he can. And I think that at first, moving into the draft, it was Chris Olave, it was Jameson Williams. Those are the names that you were hearing a lot related to Washington and kind of tied to throughout the process. And now, Jahan's in the building wasn't a name that anybody was hearing. 
I know for sure I was not hearing anything out of that building of relations or interest in Jahan. It was all Chris Alave and all Jameson Williams. And now he's in the building and has looked extremely smooth, extremely fluid, and everything you could hope for out of a first-round receiver. So Jahan Dotson, like we gave a tip of the cap to Corn Elder, to Cole Turner, to Curtis Hodges, Jahan Dotson deserves a tip of the cap because he's looked extremely smooth this first week in camp. Before we get wrapped up today, I wanted to talk a little bit about the retirement of, not AGG, but Ryan Kerrigan. As someone that all you guys out there, Washington faithful, Burgundy and Gold faithful, diehards, Ryan Kerrigan, since 2011, all-time franchise sack leader. When I had my time, when I was with Washington as a writer for the team, he was a better man off the field than he was on the field. And that says a lot considering, obviously, how dominant he was in periods and a consistent pro bowler for Washington along the front seven. But it was just a really cool moment this week for him to sign that one day and retire as a Washington commander. Even though, obviously, you know, he never played a snap as a quote-unquote commander. You know, he was always a redskin. But Ryan Kerrigan is, hopefully, we move down the line, he gets his name in the ring of fame. I don't know if they'll retire the 91, but just someone that you, coming out of Purdue, who he was in the community, who he was in the locker room for that team where he did not experience all the success. He talked about it in his press conference out at the park this week, talking about when Washington won the division in 2012 against Dallas, moving back into 2017, his strip sack and Preston Smith recovered the fumble, took it in the end zone. Two games against Dallas that I know you guys remember very clearly and vividly as it's always good to beat Dallas, right? But Ryan Carey, I'm just really excited for his future. You know, he deserves that necessary spotlight as someone that was a humanitarian for the game, was excellent in the Washington, D, you know, D.C. area, the DMV, Northern Virginia, Maryland. It's just someone that everyone rallied around. Never anything bad to say about the guy. Just took his lunch pill to work every single day and just racked up sacks every single week and became one of the league's menacing edge threats in that 2011 stacked edge class that included Vaughn Miller, J.J. Watt, Robert Quinn, Justin Houston, and Ryan Kerrigan. All of those names came off the board in 2011. And the theme of this episode, tip of the cap to Ryan Kerrigan for an outstanding career. Unfortunately, you know, he ended his career up in Philadelphia, had two sacks in Philly's playoff game against Tampa Bay last fall, but he'll always go down in history as one of the best edge rushers to ever suit up in the Burgundine goal. So from there, let's wrap up the episode. I want to thank you guys, as always, for tuning in. Please leave a like, share, comment, subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you find your news, your sports, you can find us at all my written work is housed at thedraftnetwork.com. You can find me on Twitter at underscore Ryan Fowler. Appreciate you guys always tuning in. Enjoy the week. Talk to you guys on Friday of this week. We are back to our normal schedule of two pods a week with training cam getting rocking and rolling with pads this week. So again, thank you guys for joining me each and every episode. 
I will talk to you next time. This is Commanding the Huddle. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.